on this episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I started searching for the hashtag alopecia after, you know, so this was in the pandemic, 17 years after I'd lost my hair and never really dealt with it, spoken about it, just been a wig wearer. And there's nothing wrong, wrong with wig wearing, which I am happy to get onto. But for me, it was it was a weight I was carrying with me and it, it was it was a phobia to be seen without my wig or talk about it. It was mortifying to me that I was a bald 13, 14 year old. We all have something worth saying. We all have a story worth sharing. Not everyone's going to have the time or capacity or want to do that. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. My guest today is Laura Mathias, the communications manager, campaigner and alopecia awareness advocate. Laura started losing her hair in her early teens and she admits that as a result, she basically stopped leaving the house. As she describes it, I completely withdrew and just gave up. Laura was born in Feltham and raised in Suffolk and as a child, she aspired to be a journalist. And though it's not a million miles away from her dream, she eventually found herself drawn to communications and has worked for Macmillan Cancer Support, Care UK, and now has a role at Save the Children UK. On Instagram, where she's really like alopecia, Laura has shared her journey with alopecia because that diagnosis in her early teens led to issues with self-esteem and self-expression. A wig wearer for years, lockdown changed that when we were all working from home and had the option to turn our cameras off. And this was a huge learning experience for her. And it's these learnings she's going to share with us today. As you'll know, if you're a regular listener, I ask all my guests to talk to me about their relationship with risk. And when Laura shared her biggest risk with me before we started speaking, it quite literally took my breath away. I am absolutely 100% going to ask her to tell this story. So shall we get started? Welcome to the podcast, Laura. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. Yeah. And I I look forward to you prompting my memory about all the brilliant things I said (laughs) when we previously chatted months ago. (laughs) Um, you said some amazing things, but first of all, you just have to tell everybody how you, I said to you beforehand, do I say it, Laura Matthias? And you were like, no, <laughs> tell people okay. how you tell I... people how to say your name. <laughs> okay. So I first did this with a boyfriend who I ended up being in a relationship with for six years. So it didn't turn him off too bad since I seem to do it to every BBC journalist and now you, Emma. So <laughs> my surname is Matthias. Everyone says Matthias, Matthias, there's various ways. So I always just say, Matthias, slap your thigh and spank your ass and then hope that people remember. But, you know, sometimes that goes down really well and makes me memorable. And other times people look like, who is this crazy person in my studio? I love it. But now there will not be a time when I look at you and I don't think about a thigh and an ass. <laughs> it doesn't work though it has to be the american ass but it yeah has to be like... ass. yeah i tried to english size it what a what a mistake so 
First of all, this is another thing I wanted to talk about because a lot of people, when they see that you're on the show, they're like, oh, I know her. She's on Instagram. She's an advocate for alopecia awareness, among many other things. And I only just discovered through uh, researching this interview, that's not your job. You actually have a full-time job and everything that you do under at Relight Alopecia is a side hustle. Yes, it is. Uh, it's clearly just part of my neurodivergent personality, finally newly diagnosed, where I've realised I like to keep busy slash burn the candle at both ends. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I've got to adult. I have a mortgage. I live on my own. And so, yeah, I've got a full time job. I've worked in communications since I left uni over 10 years ago. And the Relight Alopecia stuff came about because it was just selfishly sharing my experience and trying to come to terms after all these years of my alopecia but somewhere along the way I kind of developed into realizing no I've got something to say here and and it's more than just me this is a community and I want to be part of that. I think that's something that's really interesting that happens when you do start sharing your own personal experience and then you realize that well there were two things that happened I think roughly at the same time and I'd be curious to know if this is how it was for you First of all, it can be a real um, it can be a real moment to share that first post or podcast or whatever it is where you are honest for the first time. So that's one thing you kind of thrush across a threshold that you can't go back over, and that can feel quite scary but ultimately empowering. And then the other thing that happens is people say, "Yeah, me too." Yeah, and all of a sudden, by being open, you have validated your experience because. Sometimes these things can live in the dark in our brains. Was that what happened for you? Yeah, although it was basically the other way around. I found the community first. I started searching for the hashtag alopecia after, you know, so this was in the pandemic, 17 years after I'd lost my hair and never really dealt with it, spoken about it, just been a wig wearer. And there's nothing wrong wrong with wig wearing, which I am happy to get onto. But <laughs> for me, it was it was a weight I was carrying with me and it, it was it was a phobia to be seen mm -hmm. without my wig or talk about it. So when I started searching for alopecia, mainly on Instagram, and I just like basically my feed just I curated it to be full of beautiful, bald women and men just like embracing it. And I thought, flip an egg. It's not just me. It's never just been me. But for some reason, because mainstream media more likely wasn't reflecting me, I kind of always felt alone. So when I decided in June 2020 to post that first bald selfie, that was that big moment. It was the threshold, but I already had been sliding into people's DMs, following new people and felt like there were people who had paved the way for me. Mm -hmm. So that was the order it came to me, community first, then posting that selfie. And then from there, so many people came to me. And over time, somehow now I've gone from being the person looking for inspiration, which I still do get in bucketfuls, to people at the start maybe of their hair loss journey now following my page and asking me questions. Mm. Um, this might seem like a bit of a, a left turn, but I it's in the back of my mind and I could wait until later on during our conversation to ask it, but something's telling me to ask you this now. When people like me who have androgenic alopecia use that hashtag, does that in any way uh, feel, um, did that rub, does that annoy you or does that feel like in, invalidating the alopecia experience? Because obviously our alopecias are different. 
Nope. I think it's so important that everyone, but particularly women, feel they can talk about any form of hair loss. I think there's a real stigma um, around feminine beauty and having any kind of hair loss. So I I think it's great that it's such an active hashtag. And I think it's great to really normalise how many people this affects. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, to, to look at you, Emma, you might not know that you have any type of alopecia. And I know you've shared a lot of your experience of the stuff you've used to make your hair thicker. That's great. Why would I begrudge you that? Like, mm-hmm. if I had andronic alopecia, I imagine... I would be looking for solutions in the sense that I would want to make my hair thicker and do things to make me feel confident, much like as a bald woman for years, I turned to wigs. Mm -hmm. It's just that for me now, and it's totally personal, wigs were holding me back. And don't get me wrong, I'll still rock them for a wedding. I'm contemplating when I go back to do a speech at my old uni next Monday, if I wear one there, and then I really want to do a big reveal, but we'll see. Um, You know, it's, it's on... It's on your terms how you want to rock your hair loss. But I just think getting rid of that shame about talking about it, whether you disguise it or try and find a solution to your hair loss, whatever, just don't be ashamed to talk about it openly. Mm. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, I I agree with you on that. But I think also uh, it can sometimes feel as though there's a league table in something and it can sometimes feel competitive behind the scenes like particularly when it comes to these sorts of things where it's problem solving or it could be mental health and it's like well my mental health is worse than yours or what happened to me is worse than what happened to you and I think that can sometimes make the 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 space online feel a little bit sludgy so it's I I love that that, yeah (laughs) I mean it's so true sludgy and competitive sometimes I mean I know those people who are now genuine friends in the hair loss community but I'd also say I'm very lucky through becoming a campaigner with charities like Changing Faces UK, I've realised that though I'm living with alopecia, that is a form of visible difference. Mm -hmm. And so that's allowed me to tap into a whole other community. Um, But actually, I've struggled there with the sense of that hierarchy of diversity. And I've even had someone say to me offline in the nicest possible way, well, you're not ugly enough to be a visible difference campaigner. And I was like, oh, my God, like, but yeah my visible difference of hair loss is that more palatable than someone who has facial burns for example it is such a fascinating area the impact that our appearance has on how we how we are consumed by society and consumed sounds really aggressive sorry but a lot of the time online it does feel like we're just being consumed doesn't it when we're putting posts out but yeah you're you're absolutely right actually so okay let's let's talk about risk and you you told me a story but I'm going to ask if it was something else because, and then we'll come back to the story because it really is, it is good. And, but let's talk about 2020 when you stopped wearing wigs. Was that for you given, was it 17 years up till that point that you'd been wearing wigs? Did it feel like a risk to do that for the first time? Or did it feel like a natural evolution as part of the journey that you'd been on with hair loss? Uh, oh, it's really tricky to look back because so much has changed in a comparatively short amount of time since then. But I had had alopecia longer than I'd had hair by that stage. I was 13 when I lost my hair. And that's a really tricky age to have a massive change in your appearance. Um, mm. And for years, it felt like I just buried my head in the sound. I mean, I literally didn't leave the house. It wasn't, oh, I basically didn't leave the house. I did not leave my house for coming up to six months. Um, 
when I first lost my hair. When you were 13? Yeah, I I genuinely cannot remember a a large chunk of, of a year when I first lost my hair. So you know when people talk about repressing memories, it's not an exaggeration, because what the heck did I do for six months just on my own in the house? My parents had to go back to work, like, you know, it was bizarre. Um, so for a long time, it didn't feel like I was making steps forward. It felt like I was just getting on with it. And when I decided to get a wig and go back to school in year 10, it was very much, I have to assimilate. This is my only choice. If I'm going to live in life, I have to look like everyone else. I'm going to get back to school. I'm going to go to uni. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to do it all. And I'm going to do it looking the best as I can when actually I, I looked like I was wearing a wig for many years <laughs> anyway but that's besides the point um when I first did that bald selfie I don't know if it felt like a risk at that stage I think in all honesty maybe unconsciously I think I was exhausted I think it was a relief I don't think I had time to weigh up the pros and the cons by that stage. I think once I tapped into that hashtag and I started seeing that there were other people out there, I just thought, oh, my God, how much time have I wasted when look at these people going to theme parks, living their lives. These school kids going to PE lessons, whipping their wig off and then going back to class and choosing to put their wig back on. Oh, my God. Like it was such a wake up call. So, yeah, relief more than risk posting that first bald selfie. You said something interesting there about the kids doing their PE lessons, whipping their wigs off and then putting them back on or choosing to put them back on. Is that something you felt perhaps that you didn't have when it was your time was the choice? Yeah, it didn't feel like a choice at all. So it was 2004. Wait, yeah. How old was I when I was 13? What year was it? I don't know. Who was the president? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Wait, where do we live? Um, (laughs) didn't feel like it was a choice I looked around me at the adults no one had any ideas of what to do and it was only returning from a school trip because I went back to school in year 10 not actually yet wearing a wig I was wearing hats Mm. and I didn't know what to do and in the first week we had a school trip and I called my mum on the way home because we'd gone to a religious building and I was asked to remove my hat Mm. and it was one of those moments where I literally was on the brink of having a panic attack because it was ultimately revealing all these bald patches that I that they would just be on show um so I called my mum crying from the coach home and said I think it's time I get a wig she was like thank god I was waiting for you to ask me and I remember being so mad because I thought they would tell me when it was time Mm -hmm. and there was never any discussion back then that Paul do you want to maybe just think about shaving your head or you know nobody could prepare me for the fact that the way I saw that wig was as was as the new me. Once I got the hairdresser, who had actually first found my bald patch, to shave what was left of my hair and style that wig on my head, I did not go out in public again without a wig for those 17 years. Like, it was public me versus private me. And nobody ever in my family or friends who did know about my alopecia really tried to help me interrogate those feelings and work on that with me. Because I guess... <sighs> It was one minute, you don't have any hair. The next second, you do. And so it's like a, it's a, it's like a switch being flipped. And there's no grey area between those two things, is there, for discussion. It's Laura without her wig and Laura with her wig. And there's no space in between. Or perhaps the space in between is uncomfortable. Yeah, and it just... 
it's it's that stigma piece again. Even then, even though there wasn't anyone, like I said, Gail Porter lost her hair the year after me. So there became a point of reference, but she was so adamant in not wearing wigs. And that was really powerful and it was really helpful to an extent, but I didn't want to not wear wigs. I just wanted to be like any other teenage girl. So mm. it just, it didn't even occur to me that I could treat it as an accessory or as an option. It was mortifying to me that I was a bald 13, 14 year old. I felt like there was something wrong with me. There was something wrong with me and I was different and nobody else I could see was like me. So yeah, I remember hiding from friends that unexpectedly came to knock on my door to visit me because I didn't, my wig was upstairs and I was downstairs and they just kept ringing the doorbell again and again and again. And I just hid. And it's that, that is a phobia. That is extreme behavior. Mm. And, and it blows my mind now. But yeah, don't get me wrong. There are still moments when I leave my front door, I bump into an elderly neighbor and I can see that moment of, oh, oh, is she, is she okay? Or, you know, I still have those moments of like, yep, it does take some energy to go out in the world as a bald woman or in my bandana. But I don't have that same intense like fear of being seen as I am, which is a bald woman. What then would you say to 13-year-old Laura if you could given what you've learned and the progress or not even progress that's the wrong thing to say like the the journey that you've been on because a lot's happened a lot of emotional and mental strength has been earned by having this experience it's tricky because I don't believe in looking back and thinking oh we've only had done this sooner I've only had come to terms with it sooner I think I don't think I was emotionally mature enough to understand the impact that losing my hair in the space of a few months, you know, like had on me. Of course, it was going to change who I was. Of course, it was at a key time when I was like forming who I was as a person. Has it, you know, effed me up? Yeah, probably a bit. But I think I would just, I think I'd just say, just be patient with yourself because I think I've always been stubborn. And even back then in not dealing with it, I was so adamant that no, no, this is my choice. I'm choosing to be a wig wearer. You know, I don't want to be defined by my hair loss. I have alopecia. It doesn't have me. All these kind of like, you know, calls, cries that I'd be saying to like empower myself. But it was just empty. I didn't really believe it. And my mum used to always say to me, there will come a day when I know you'll have accepted your alopecia, Laura, because you'll be able to walk down the street without a wig. And I was so angry because I said, how can you tell me what acceptance looks like? That doesn't need to be my goal, mum. You know, that doesn't need to be my goal ever. And I maintain it still doesn't. The reason I walk out bald now isn't to prove that I accept my alopecia. The reason I do it is because I used to wear my wig so much that my eczema would flare and it would literally be stuck to my scalp and I'd have to peel it off. Mm. I was prepared to do that to my body rather than just maybe have to deal with a bit of social discomfort from other people. And that for me during the pandemic and spending more time at home, seeing my scalp repair and just how much that breakdown between the public Laura and the private Laura, that was the wake up call. And if anything, I've just had the extreme of what everyone went through in that time, which was, you know, how people stopped wearing underwired bras or wearing makeup. Mine's just an extension of that. It was just the kind of, wait, why am I, who am I doing this for? Who am I painting my face and putting my wig on every day for? Because it certainly doesn't feel like it's for my benefit when my scalp is bleeding. Yeah, you said then other people's social discomfort. And it, it's that, isn't it? It's what other people will think and what other people will say. And there has to come a day, I guess, for all of us where 
um, what we think overrides what we think other people might think. <laughs> exactly that. So yeah, to reflect, sorry, I know I went off on one neurodivergent brain. I think <laughs> I would just say to 13 year old me that the full safe, like it is gonna get better. And actually this thing that you flip and hate about yourself is gonna end up kind of unlocking some really great things about you. Okay, now flip that advice. Forget about the retrospective. What would you say to a 13-year-old girl who's having your exact experience right right now today? Find your community. Don't deal with it alone. You are so not alone. I know it feels like this is a unique, horrible experience just for you, but there are so many men, women, children dealing with some kind of hair loss. You are not a freak. You are not on your own in this. And there is a community ready to totally embrace you and get you through this however you want to. And there's no right way to deal with alopecia or hair loss. It's totally on your terms. It's not fixed. Confidence isn't linear, but we are here to chat it through with you whenever you want. So now I'm going to ask you to tell me the story that you referenced about your biggest risk, because I did <laughs> of all of the questionnaire responses I've had, yours is fantastic. So I asked Laura, what's the biggest risk you've ever taken? And her answer was, um, which I loved. I loved the fact that there was an onomatopoeic word at the beginning. Um, probably sleeping with a guy for the first time and he didn't know I was wearing a wig. That was pretty darn risky for someone terrified of being found out as a wig wearer. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's how deep the phobia went. It was risky. You know, any kind of kissing or intimacy, people like to run their fingers through your hair. It's, it's unfortunate when, yeah, I didn't even like a guy touching my neck because his fingers might accidentally touch the base of my wig. But this guy, I don't know how I did it. I somehow managed to do weeks and months of foreplay and then finally took the plunge. And it, he was my first, actually, because... I'd put off this thing for so long because yeah. I, like, I mean, let's put it this way. I'd had offers, even though I was uh, someone who was deeply, deeply self-conscious and felt I was not worthy of romantic love. And I still struggle with that to a point because I looked different. Um, but the practicalities, yeah, of wearing a wig and doing an activity that is pretty, you know, interactive was, was risky. <laughs> yeah it was I just imagine like everything else is like a snake moving and you're kind of living out what you think sex looks like but your head is just rigidly straight that was exactly and every now and again oh yeah you can touch me there but oh no if you go near my neck or my head slap no <laughs> kinky yeah slashes of violence if the hands go above the neck Love it. exactly that I mean it didn't work that well because then weeks later I remember we were kissing in the university club and he was just like your hair is really weird. And I got off his lap, Overshare, and I ran away and I went back to my halls and I kissed someone else just to make me feel better. Aww. Wasn't dealing ever... with it, Emma. No. <laughs> well, you said something there that I wanted to actually unpick a little bit because you said, um, oh, what was it about the, the, the not feeling confident, not feeling worthy of love? And I think there is a common theme among people and my experience of having these sorts of conversations has usually been with women but uh, for those people who have the common experience of perhaps hitting puberty and <laughs> not blossoming like a beautiful flower but perhaps growing a bit sideways and a bit crooked <laughs> and like some thorns come out I I had a very awkward 
puberty because of polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I didn't blossom. I just spread outwards, got a lot of facial hair, lost some hair, got really bad acne. And so I I think it's only when you have got so many years down the line, you realize that when you, it, it seems as though people who have the blossoming experience don't even realize that they might not be entitled to be loved or fancied or kissed or any of those things. But actually for those people who do have those weird experiences, I call them like not the, not the swan like experiences, you feel as though that excludes you from mm. what in inverted commas, normal people are allowed to experience. And I think love and physical intimacy is one of the big ones that no one really discusses. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, and I was at disability expo earlier this month and there was a whole stand there. There's a whole charity about talking about sex intimacy when you're disabled. And I just thought, I just I spent so much time chatting to them <laughs> sharing that risk story but no lots of different you know it just yeah why everyone is deserving of love and sex and intimacy and I I feel angry at myself that is the one time I look back and I I feel genuinely baffled that I was in a place where I allowed myself when getting into relationships with people including that guy that I did the whole oh you say my name with slapping the thigh in the ass I didn't tell him uh, that I was wearing a wig either. And that, that was years later, this this first experience. Um, and, you know, until we'd slept together and we'd been on loads of dates. And then I kept building up to this big secret I had to tell him. And he was like, oh, God, what is it? You know, and I really felt like having to reveal that I had alopecia was going to be a deal breaker for these people. And I, I am angry looking back because I'm thinking, what a waste of energy. Like... And, it, and and that became the bigger issue. The lie became the bigger issue because it felt like, yeah, I was revealing a part of myself and only a true gentleman or woman would love me, you know. Um, and it's just bollocks. It's just ridiculous. It's weird, isn't it? Because if one of your friends or if one of your lovers had said to you, this is my secret, you wouldn't have run out of the room with arms flailing, screaming into the night, never to be seen again. So if you know that's how you would react, yet you fear someone else's reaction is going to be just flat out immediate rejection, that kind mm. of says quite a lot, doesn't it, about what's going on mentally? Yeah, and I, I never had that awful reaction. I definitely had some agreeing to go on a date with someone, then weirdly would tell them beforehand and then they would cancel the date. I have had experience of rejection like that. And you can never pinpoint that it was definitely to do with the alopecia, but actually, on reflection, looking back, I don't believe it was about my alopecia. I think it was about the way I was approaching talking about it. It was it was signposting that I wasn't confident in who I am. It was signposting mm. that I saw this as an issue. So if even prior to going on a date, I felt the need to like self-declare this part of me, then it feels like that's going to be something, like a third person in the relationship, all this anxiety I have about my hair loss. So, I mean... Yeah, I it's tricky to talk about relationships because I'm kind of one off with someone and, and it's I there is part of me that wonders how much of of these anxieties are still at work somewhere, you know, mm -hmm. in the choices I make in my romantic life. Um but who knows, maybe I'll have advice for myself now in 10 years time and you can ask me. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, it is a, a very interesting space. And as someone who has had real hangups about their body, and I think I've said this before in the show, but I'll say it again. When my first boyfriend dumped me, the first words that fell out of my mouth, I, I honestly, I couldn't stop them from happening as they were happening. I, I was sort of like, I think I looked shocked, but the first words out of my mouth were, is it because I'm fat? Because I assumed that of course it would be that. Not that I was super clingy and annoying and highly sensitive and like a really terrible girlfriend that I was like, oh, it has to be because of that thing that I hate about myself. So there was a lot of self-hatred going on that I was trying to hide from other people. And it's interesting what you say, because it's the, it was the people who are attracted to confidence and it was and you saying it's the way I approached my alopecia that might have been the turnoff, not the alopecia in itself. I yeah, think. and I think... I do think it's really important and and just to just to stress like I'm not suddenly a super duper confident person although I do think there are issues in the sense that we seem as as women to be put off by confident women like that it's a whole flipping podcast in itself um but I I am personally now post-pandemic fatter than I've ever been and I use that word in and trying to own it in a neutral way but I've put on like three stone in the last four or five years. That is a big change to my body. I have significant eczema and I'm bald. So my confidence working on my alopecia is one thing, but as with everybody, it's not in isolation. There are lots of different parts of myself that, oh, if only I could tweak this or do this. Um, and I've used my alopecia as an excuse. I don't like going to the gym because I don't want to get hot and sweaty. It will aggravate my eczema. I'll have people stare at me, assume I'm going through cancer, blah, blah, blah. You know, but at the end of the day, it is my body. I've seen journeys like yours when when you do it for the right reasons and you choose to take control and go on a health journey. Great. Like, but also there is part of me that I think is rebelling a bit because, yeah, I know it's a real pain in the butt that none of my clothes fit anymore and et cetera, et cetera. But there's part of me that kind of wants to be like, no, I don't want to just tick one of the boxes. Why can't you accept me when I'm bald and fat? Why do I have to be one or the other to be acceptable to you as society and still be seen as beautiful? That really angers me. And I do see more models now with alopecia and it really, really excites me. And I think it's great that that's kind of being accepted in mainstream media, but I don't feel represented because I feel like I am bang average, you know, like I'm not a size six model that just doesn't happen to have hair, but is stereotypically beautiful in every way. I am just a normal woman that has eczema flares and has put on a lot of weight since the pandemic. Like, just take me as I am. And that's something I still feel myself battling with. Um, or maybe I just I don't want to do the work to, to get back to it. But yeah, sorry for a mini rant there, but it's no, something that plays a, on my mind a lot. I'm interested because you said the word you used was rebelling. And I think I think that's quite interesting given what you've been through with the acceptance over the alopecia, they're not wearing the wigs. I wonder if it's like, well, I've done this. And if there's an element of excitement about what you have done and these new, this new confidence that you have, and it's like, okay, well, is it a sense of, well, let's keep pushing the boundaries. Mm. I'm not talking about, I don't know, but yeah, why not? Like, I guess it's like with, uh, with women who embrace their body hair and think, well, why should I shape for you, for your, again, for your social comfort, why should I have to put myself in physical discomfort or not be true to myself? So maybe there is an element of that, you know, I think there's going to, I think there's, I am a work in progress. We all are like, mm -hmm. there's still so much I'm learning about myself. Um, but I think ultimately it's just not being so wrapped up 
and spending all my energy on worrying about how other people are going to react to what I look like mm. when that energy could be spent elsewhere. Now, don't get me wrong, because I know now I'm a campaigner for visible difference. So if it's just her or if I'm telling people, oh, we shouldn't care about people's appearance, why am I spending so much of my spare time talking about it? Well, I'm doing it because unfortunately it does have an impact. If you are objectively attractive, you will do better in your career than someone who is overweight, for example. And sorry, I've just even there done an unconscious slip. I've assumed being overweight means you're not attractive. And that is not something I believe, but it's just it's in our language. It's just these are how things are presented to us. And I I feel like there's so much I want to learn and interrogate. And when I look back at when I first went back to school, it does make me laugh that my spoken presentation I did at GCSE English, we were, cho- we were allowed to choose any topic. And I chose to do a presentation on the importance of attractiveness in life. And yet nobody felt the need to pull me aside and say, hey, Laura, just back at school wearing a wig. Are you dealing with something here? Are you going through something? And I just think it's hilarious looking back all these years later. And now I'm literally making this my side hustle. <laughs> mm. it's, it's absolutely true, the pretty privilege. It's absolutely mm. true. And I think for me, I internalized it growing up as if you were pretty, you could treat people like crap and, it, and there were no consequences. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's, it's absolutely true. The pretty privilege. It's absolutely mm. true. And I think for me, I internalized it growing up as if you were pretty, you could treat people like crap and, it, and there were no consequences. <laughs> if you were pretty, you did well it, it, in social situations. Like I just, it was like, well, if you're pretty, you can get away with pretty much anything. If you're pretty and thin, you can get away with pretty much anything. And that was shame on me because obviously there are many more layers to people's personalities. Mm-hmm. But that was what I definitely internalized was well, if you are slim and pretty and well-dressed and rich, well, my God, yeah. the world is literally your oyster and you don't have to be polite. <laughs> it's true. It is true. And it's it's frustrating because it's, it's creating an us and them mentality. And that's not a space I want to be in as a woman, um, especially when, you know, yeah, there's already enough things against us for all many different reasons. We're always just desperate to put people in boxes, aren't we? And just and keep them there. And that that's shorthand. It helps us understand them. And that's mm-hmm. what I mean when I talk about the hierarchy of diversity and the fact that, yeah, like, that I don't fit into a set box. I was recently diagnosed with ADHD. You know, I'm overweight. I work in the charity sector. Like, you think of all these things you could list that how would someone describe you? And, and half the time, I think the interesting thing is realising 
the way we talk about ourselves is nowhere near how someone like your friend would describe you. It's just, it's chaos to think how much energy we put into. And when you list those things about yourself, it is, it comes down to your worth based on, based on your appearance. And I just Mm. think that is fundamentally wrong. Yeah. Do you, I'm sure you must have come across her, but um, I had her arm core on the podcast a couple of years ago now. But actually, it was after she came on the podcast, we went to, we, I interviewed her on a panel at a show. And for those who don't know, her arm uh, has PCOS and has a full beard, basically, has facial hair, very pronounced facial hair. And I remember we were chatting. And the one thing I'll say about her arm is that she is punchy and I definitely felt her look at me a certain way when she said this but I was I've had PCOS I had I've had electrolysis I've had waxing I'm currently having IPL for facial hair because it's something that I've been needing to minimize and reduce for many many years for decades now and she just very casually looked at me and said but I can handle it Emma you can't I can handle going out in the world with this facial hair you couldn't handle it and it felt quite sharp at the time, but in the same nanosecond that I felt the sharpness of it, I also felt the absolute truth of it. And that's because mm. of my own internalized judgment about what I believe is beautiful. And the following nanosecond, I felt really jealous of her, the fact that she can go out in the world like that because she can hack it. But I know I couldn't. But there's not a hierarchy there. There's not a hierarchy there in in acceptance either. Like... Mm. Me going out bald doesn't diminish somebody who has alopecia but chooses to wear a wig every day. I am never, ever going to push other people with hair loss to have to reveal or show off their alopecia to prove anything to anyone. I just don't want anyone to feel like they have no choice. So it's that piece, you know. That doesn't change the fact that when I get dressed up for a wedding, sometimes I still feel like, hmm, what's this outfit missing? a wig you know I can't look feminine in this dress without a wig those things are deep rooted and they're going to take time and some days I don't want to have to be like I don't want it to have to be a fight just to leave my front door I do just want to blend in and and that's that's an act of choice and that's okay too um but yes I do follow her on Instagram and I remember years ago when I was my first ever comms job I was working at Somerset House and uh, Brock Elbank did the beard exhibition and she was part of it and I remember seeing her image and just being like wow mm. and I know it's the other extreme almost of what I'm dealing with but the the feelings and the otherness is very much the same I think yeah she's whip smart <laughs> so the second time I interviewed her I was really like I realized yeah you have to be on your a game because she does <laughs> she will back you down <laughs> But in a but in a wonderful way, in a one in a in a way that I think is really important because I would never have thought about it like that. In the same way that you can handle going out without a wig, and someone else not being able to handle it and choosing to wear a wig doesn't make them wrong. But it is a different. But it it is a different sort of stage of acceptance, isn't it? And, and yeah, comfort. and I I would say I can handle it because I force myself to. From posting that first bald selfie, that was one thing. I've always found the divide between my social media presence and what I'm prepared to share online very different to the everyday just going out my front door. That has always, that latter piece has always been the bigger challenge mm-hmm. because I have curated my own se- like special social little safe bubble where people primarily 
align with my values and, and they're, they're here because they want to support, they want to see or they have hair loss experience or something that makes them feel different. You know, I live on a street with a very different generation of people and it has been an education being a member of a management company in my building to appear at those meetings rocking a bandana even you know and then having to explain oh no you'll see me in different hair sometimes because I wear a wig and they're like oh oh bless you bless you and and that's something that I just have to swallow it accept it and embrace that you know whatever like I can't change everyone's minds and opinions but um I would say Emma you don't know if you could handle you know rocking facial hair until you're in a situation like, you know, what if you're in a situation where for some reason they banned that treatment forever? You would just deal with it. You don't know the limits of your resilience until until they're tested. You don't know the limits of my resourcefulness. I would find a black market laser. <laughs> <laughs> I know too many people in the aesthetics game to not, to not under cover of darkness, get myself an IVL machine. <laughs> But I I do, Jess. But it's interesting you say that about the little bubble, because I often think that, be, especially being in the beauty space that I'm in, in which I, I always am talking about the London bubble, and you're in that same space on social media, I think, and the, the fact that a lot happens and a lot of progress is made in that space. But actually, the second you drive outside of London, it's like you go through a, like a bubble. And then there are so many things. So for example, I live just on the outskirts of London. And before Christmas, there was an issue with some pipes leaking in my building. And so lots of people in the building and like you, uh, some different generations. Now, mm -hmm. when they're talking about so-and-so in flat 16 or so-and-so in such and such, they use descriptive words that you would not get away with saying if you were in London or certainly not if you were speaking in the media because it was about that person's ethnicity, that person's skin colour, that person's height, that person's... And I remember just sort of just grimacing so hard, just clenching, thinking this is awful, but then also realising this is the London bubble I live in because Ooh. this would not fly, but this is what's going on in the quote-unquote real world. Yeah, it's quite worrying, isn't it, when you think about, so I like to call myself a campaigner, and yet, am I really campaigning if so much of the time my message is just going to a warm audience? I need to break through that bubble. Um, I don't actually live in London anymore. I did for four years or so, but now I'm in one of England's smallest towns, but there is a direct line to Liverpool Street. So I'm still connected, but, you know, um, yeah, it. It, this is still one of the spaces that I, like I said, I find it hardest to, so, you know, like I went on the Trini Takeover show. That was one mm -hmm. of my challenges I set myself. I applied to go on the show because I knew I was starting a new job and I didn't want to start this new job wearing a wig. It was my first time and I just decided for me, the workplace is my next kind of obstacle of being a bald woman. And so I was like, I'll go on the Trini Takeover show. She'll make me look fabulous and then it will be great. Trini has the most eccentric, amazing style but it, it suits a context there is no way I can wear effectively a Cruella de Vil dress up cosplay outfit which is one of the outfits down my high street it's just no way it's not even a high street it's like a meter long with a bakery like so yeah it was really helpful in some ways to challenge me and make, and honestly my cobalt blue suit with the bald head is an mm -hmm. outfit I still feel really confident in and I I, I loved that I did that Mm -hmm. But it, again, it's still okay to temper how you choose to present yourself on the days that you choose to. But choice, choice, choice. 
Yeah, choice, choice, choice. That's the thing. How was Trini, by the way? Because I think that actually it's not just her outfits that are eccentric. I think she has the most incredible infectious energy and you can't help leaving her company thinking, yeah, do you know what? I probably could lift up that truck. She's just got that ability. Did she do that for you? Yeah, 100%. Um, Trini is, she really gives no fucks. Like she (laughs) says it exactly how it is. Uh, and actually, she did invite me back to do a, a Friday tripleting with her and Chloe, her video editor, which was cool. So clearly I won around a little bit. And I think that's because I very quickly realised when I first met her in the back of a black cab, whilst the cameras were on, I'm either going to crumble in this woman's presence or I'm going to match her energy and that's going to make this day go well. And I did. I just thought, screw it. I'm bringing my full self. Like, And I think that was the only way to get the most out of it. Um, and I don't mean crumbling like, you know, like I, I could just see me personally, it would have gone one of two ways. And yeah, I do remember at one point snapping on Friday trip and saying, well, why don't you go and make a cup of tea then? And then immediately being like, oh my God, she's going to slap me. Oh my God, she's going to slap me. Uh, and she didn't. She just gave me the look and then laughed and then, yeah, went and pretended to make a cup of tea. I was like, thank God, thank God, thank God. But I have so much respect for her and and how she's built her empire mm. and the messages and and the people that she's getting on. I you know I don't want to be like oh since I applied like she's got but she has like after that she was speaking to Gail Porter. She's done Friday tripleting um, with a a woman who uses a wheelchair. You know she's really trying to embrace diversity in the people that she's talking to, and I love that. Mm. Um, I asked you about the excuse that you make for yourself because I think excuses are really interesting they're very telling and I was kind of heartbroken when I read yours but then I completely understood because you thought that you couldn't do certain things because you were high maintenance and the thing that made you high maintenance was alopecia the eczema asthma and I guess now ADHD um do you believe that you're high maintenance in every sense yes uh that is a label that especially romantic partners have put on me um and it is something I've used as an excuse for myself it's I take my own pillowcase and bed sheets even to five-star hotels like because it is hard work when you manage something like you know autoimmune conditions like alopecia eczema asthma I've had a doctor tell me I'm allergic to the world before. And that's a really uncomfortable diagnosis because is he telling me to not be in this world? Because, you know, could have sued that guy. But um, (laughs) um, yeah, it's something that I kind of would joke about when I was making that excuse. And yeah, it was the obvious things of like, even at uni when friends were like, hey, we're going to go to Thorpe Park, you know, for a celebration. I'd be like, well, obviously I, I, you know, I can't come because, Mm -hmm. because of the, and I'd like point to my head. And this was like one of the 10 people maybe in three years that I told. Um, and I'd be like, oh, but if you obviously don't mention that, just make up an excuse for me or something. And it's just, yeah, that in itself was high maintenance. And that again was the lying piece I've realized. So it's great that I've let that go. But there are some practical things of just, yeah, living with skin conditions, which I'm sure you talked about, you know, living with acne that you can reflect. Like when everyone talks about, oh, we're going to go for a Hindu and we're going to go to a spa day. No, that is my worst nightmare because you will put something on my skin and that will be me done. Like mm. I will literally blow up like a balloon. <laughs> so yeah. it does make me feel high maintenance. I've always thought, not that I'm in a position to, and things have changed in my romantic life, but I always worry about 
if I did decide to get married one day, there is there is a risk that I would wake up and my skin would be unmanageable that day and I would not feel good. And I say that because weirdly, again, everything's in isolation in the sense that, yeah, I can deal with my alopecia, but if my scalp is suddenly flaring up, which it does sometimes, I even made the comment to my boyfriend the other day when we were going for a day out in London, you're going to need to help me powder my head today. Um, and he was like, but it's only going to make it sore. You know, you shouldn't do that. It's not good for you. And I said, if we don't do this, I will not be able to leave the house today. So I still, somewhere deep down, have that trigger reaction of if I, if I am not presentable to a point that I think is acceptable, I regress straight back to that point of I can't, I'm done, I'm staying in the house for six months. And it, and it is scary for me knowing that that's there, that reflex is still to just hide. And don't get me wrong, there are so many days I push through that and I just do it even when I'm not feeling my best. But when you live with a culmination of things that make you look and feel different, it is, it's exhausting when it's not just one thing and they overlay and they, and they overlap, you know. I was having this conversation with a friend the other day. We were talking about it in the context of mental health and about when you're really struggling and when you don't want the world to know, but you'll turn up in, in the world, but perhaps you'll be touchy, perhaps you'll be a bit short-tempered, maybe snappy, maybe a bit distracted. And it's sort of making me think about what you're saying there in that you end up showing up in the world as a crappy version of yourself that perhaps people don't particularly warm to or like being around, but they have no idea how much effort it has taken you to show up and be that rubbish. And then consequently, as I'm sure you can relate to when you're having a good day and none of those frictions are in place, it's like no effort at all to turn up and be a really a much more palatable version of yourself. But the two, you don't know when necessarily one day is going to be good or one day is going to be bad. So these things can live next to each other. I think that can feel that can feel in itself really quite exhausting too. Yeah, because it feels like I think it's really interesting to compare it to mental health because all these things, again, sorry, I, I keep changing what I've said. Oh, that's in isolation. That's not. But they're not like you can't separate when when you're dealing with any kind of pain, especially chronic pain or a chronic condition. Of course, that chip, chip chips away at your energy levels, at your at your happiness levels, you know. And and yeah, that day in London, I I was bloody snappy. And and was it because I was in Five Guys and I was having a stimulus overload because now I know what that is and realise that that is not the space for me to thrive in? Um, was it because my feet were hurting all day? Because I'm really worried that I'm now so fat that I've just tipped over the point where I now have that plantar fascia, whatever it's called on my feet. <laughs> or was it because even though I was out and bald and embracing it, I could feel my scalp tingling. I could feel my skin infection around my eye and it was sore and I felt sore and it was just a dormant layer of just like, I'm very aware of the body that I'm in and it doesn't feel like my friend right now. And you can talk as kindly as you want to yourself, but when your body feels like it's not with you, it's really hard to love and like yourself. It's it's just really hard. And yes, you might be snappier with other people, but I remember rocking up to a job with a very young manager and um, I had a really bad eczema flare because I was commuting to London from Suffolk and it was two and a half hours each way. And I had covered my face and foundation. I always did a really good job of hiding my eczema overall. And obviously back then didn't even talk about wearing a wig, didn't even tell employers half the time. So I was putting that on. 
it turns out I was actually allergic to silicone, which was the base of most of my wigs. Oh, so gosh. yeah, that was fun to learn years later. But anyway, I made a joke uh, like, oh, don't make me laugh today. My face is so taut, like it might crack. My manager took me into a private room and said, if you're not well enough to be at work, you shouldn't be here. And so that taught me like, wow, you can't even find a way to poke fun or make light of your limitations because it will make you see lesser. And she even said the words to me, do you want people to think you're the ill kid at work? It's unprofessional. And obviously she was just a bloody awful manager, but that stuck <laughs> with me. And I don't know if it's because of an example of just an awful manager, but also just how ingrained those beliefs were in her, how right she thought that was. She thought, mm. she said to me, I'm doing you a favor. And I thought, oh my God. And you know, I would never ever want anyone working with me, dealing with any kind of difference or condition to feel that way. But these things are really deeply grown, who knows? Do you think with the benefit of hindsight that she might have been covering something or do you think it was just prejudice? Do you think she might have actually been suppressing something for fear of what being her true self would mean in the workplace? She was definitely dealing with just, she had something to prove that young right. person. She had something massively to prove and she saw herself as directly responsible for me. Um, it, it fills me with dread thinking back to that time, being so junior and, and being under someone's micromanagement. But yeah, I was also awful as an assistant, a PR assistant in a busy PR team. I was undiagnosed ADHD, constantly, you know, just having jokes with people. For some reason, couldn't remember names of the people on the other side of the room. I don't know what was going on there. Maybe like a mental block. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm glad I'm, no offence to your world, I'm glad I'm not doing like PR events anymore for that kind I you know I couldn't speak to the Vogue editor let's just put it like that like yeah honestly the girls at Vogue during the entire time I've been in the industry are some of the nicest most approachable people so well that's really good to know clearly again it was something that was on it was was stuck in my head and as a 22 year old dealing with that and a manager that made me feel this big um when I got stuck in the lift with all the people who were coming to the event from Vogue I was just terrified and I felt yeah. overwhelmed and I felt like I didn't belong. They didn't even have to say anything. And that would yeah. have been how I felt. Yeah, I, I feel that. I just I just assumed all of the girls when I started, all of the girls who were on the glossy magazines on the monthlies, I just assumed they must all be nasty bitches because they were all beautiful. They all seemed to look very well put together to me. So I was like, well, you must be terrible. And <laughs> turns out they're all amazing. So there we go. How wrong okay, I was. So reverse judgments. Yeah. Like I was projecting. I was projecting and I was also insanely jealous because I thought that I got there by accident as the the fat girl from school the, with the acne. So I thought I'd sort of snuck in un, unnoticed and was going to get thrown out at any minute. And I thought that it was actually their turf and I thought they would reject me and they didn't. In fact, so of interest. How many times did you watch the Ugly Betty series then, <laughs> living vicariously through that? Uh, I'm older than you think. <laughs> that was that was way after I started at OK in magazines. I think that yeah, that was way after. But yeah, okay. it's, that would have it, had it been before. That would have been yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been helpful. Um, you said that your biggest challenge has been finding your purpose, and it made me think about the fact that you. Didn't want because you said I don't want to be defined by my alopecia. So there was a long time where you didn't talk about it, and but now you're embracing it. So it's kind of this challenge is like finding who you are in spite of 
something that you tried to hide for a long time and now something that you embrace and help many, many other people with. So what what do you think it has been? What has been the challenge of finding your purpose? I think for me, it always felt like I wasn't an expert in something, but I think it's okay to stop and recognise you can be an expert. We're all experts in our lived experience. I know we were chatting about that before we started talking, but there's a strength. If you know how to lean into that, we all have something worth saying. We all have a story worth sharing. Not everyone's going to have the time or capacity or want to do that. And if that is going to be my purpose of embracing those 20 years of, of not living how I wanted to because I was a wig wearer and felt like I wouldn't be accepted otherwise and all the implications that had on my mental health and my career choices and everything, screw it. I know it seems really self-indulgent, but there is purpose in that and reflecting on that and interrogating that and breaking it down and talking about it with the media and with you beyond just me now because that will help people because I see and I get messages from mums of kids are going through this and it's just a cycle people are feeling all these feelings that I felt 20 years ago still today even with the benefits of social media like because there is still so much to be done in terms of representation in mainstream media you know and and just a really horribly judgy society all the time so yeah being uh, being a naturally confident big gob who then lost all the hair head to toe on her body and completely felt like a shell of herself this is me reclaiming myself and and it is in spite of the alopecia but it's also because of it and it's okay to kind of embrace that duality when I'm having conversations on this podcast about subjects that perhaps I'm interested in but don't know enough about I sometimes worry that I will venture into insensitivity by asking a question and it's funny when you look at a lot of the subjects that uh, we are so much more open about now there are certain there's certain vocabulary for example that would have been acceptable 10 years ago but which, which is now offensive and so I think it can be um it can be challenging sometimes to know how to approach these subjects so my, my question to you is Hopefully I haven't said anything insensitive during our conversation, but is there any vocabulary or is there anything that you would want people to veer away from in terms of a common mistake that people make when it comes to talking about hair loss, alopecia and visible difference? So I think using the word just in front of any condition is not okay because again, it's rating something, it's it's valuing or devaluing something in someone's experience. Um, and yeah, for someone, it might just be alopecia or it might just be eczema. And really, it doesn't interact much with their day or their confidence or their life. But for others, it can be make or break. I literally didn't leave the house for six months when I lost my hair. If I hadn't gone back to school, like what would have happened to me? You know, like that my whole course of my life might have been very different if something hadn't kicked in. And yeah, I just yeah sorry I've kind of gone off on one there thinking about that moment of it, it really scares me when I look back and think like nobody could have told me right or wrong what to do there it had to be a choice I came to myself um and it's just really really scary to think about at the end of the day people have a lot of influence on us and they do but it has to be the choice that when I keep talking about choices, you know, nobody could have got me back through those school gates. My dad literally dropped me 
at the school gates and I walked eight miles home because I didn't want to go into that school. So, yeah, sorry, I went off on a massive tangent no. there, Emma, and I got I got lost in a memory. I'm sorry. No, so it's fine <laughs> because actually I've written next to, and I've written another note on my notes. <laughs> Um, is was that your sliding doors moment and it sounds like actually profoundly so in that you know that if it had simply been that you didn't go to school that day when you did life wouldn't just be different it would be very different and perhaps not in a, in a, in a way that frightens you mm. yeah and I don't know where that I don't know what it was I don't know what that kick to get back I knew I had to go back in year 10 after six months I, I knew I had to go back to the start of the new term. And my parents had pleaded with me for months beforehand. They tried to send me to a psychologist, all these things, because I wasn't coping with it, because it wasn't just hair to me. It was, I, I don't know who I am anymore. Um, yeah, so to go back to your question, sorry, which I have just checked back into in my brain, that was a real lagging moment. I think you can call me slapped, you can call me skinhead, you can make jokes, it's fine if you're laughing with me. I think just don't tell me how I should feel about my difference because mm -hmm. it's not yours, it's mine and it's my experience. And, you know, you might have parents that are absolutely amazing and supportive and, and mine to an extent were, but what if someone develops alopecia and they have a mum that tells them they must wear a wig they have no choice but to wear a wig that would be a completely unique experience to mine that would cause many issues for them that I could never even dream to so all we can do is listen and learn from each other which I know sounds cheesy as hell but I just think it's so true um and apart from that I do have one gripe when people and this is probably because I'm trying to now separate how I feel about wig wearing and seeing it as as a choice but when women who wear wigs refer to them as she and her, it is not a living object. It is a bloody wig. It doesn't matter what we call it. I know there's so many negative connotations of the word wig, but calling it a her, giving it a name like Nancy, isn't going to change what it is. Just plop it on your head and look fabulous. Laura, we were doing so well, but it sounds as though you're picking a fight with Moira Rose. And so now we are more enemies. <laughs> Oh no! And I, yeah, I barely, I'm sorry, I barely watched that show, but so many people send me the meme of her and her wigs. Um, yeah, sorry. Well, that's, I mean, that's fiction, that's television. So we'll, we'll exclude, we'll exclude Moira Rose from this. Okay. But yeah. Great. So we can still be best friends. Great. Still, cool. yeah, we're fine. We're cool. It was just, it was a blip, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> just edit it out. Just get rid of it. We don't have to, we don't have to agree on everything in order to be friends. That's the people pleaser of these Years, <laughs> years of pretending to be hairy. <laughs> years of pretending to be hairy. Was it part? Was it partly people pleasing? That forget about what other people thought, because there's there's what other people think, and then there's pleasing other people, and there's there's a subtle difference. Was it people pleasing, or was it not letting them think something negative that made you put the wig on? Do you think? Yeah, not letting them think something negative, but. I still, even until this year, if my dad would come and visit me, I would go to wear the wig. And I wonder, is that because it would please my parent more not to have to think about me as the daughter with the health conditions, you know? So like being reminded of my alopecia, mm. I would like to think as a reminder of his guilt for the messy divorce that they were going through that arguably triggered everything. But I doubt that very highly. Um, <laughs> 
yeah I don't know oh oh this is like a psychologist uh moment now no I, I don't know I think it was just okay let no me switch. I couldn't yeah go on let me switch gears because I can feel that we've uh maybe that one is not one is not one that we're quite ready to pick up maybe next time you come back on the podcast we'll okay. we'll fully go into that one but I asked you and our time together is drawing to an end so I'm going to close with this one you I asked you to describe your greatest strength and you said, I can and will talk to anybody. And when I read that, my initial reaction was pure jealousy. Because as much as I will talk to anybody on the podcast, I know I am at times so um, in social situations terrified to talk to people that I don't know. And so for the benefit of people like me or for people listening who maybe have a similar feeling, what is the secret to just being able to start a conversation with absolutely anybody? What's the worst that could happen? Like, literally, that's it. If I make a fool of myself, so what? Like, I'm, I'm a fat, bald girl, and I've got through teenage years. Like, I, can, I feel like sometimes it's like I can do anything in that context, but... I just think like I know that I'm not going to be everyone's cup of tea and that was something that has taken me a long time to realize that people tend to want to have a good experience and it goes back to that thing I was saying about how I talk about my alopecia if I leave the conversation with confidence it's going to be a positive experience if I go in apologetically it's going to be awful mm. when I go into a room of people I have good feeling I don't, I'm not faking it. I, I want to have a nice experience. I want to learn about someone. And I think that kind of just comes through. And yeah, they might be like, whoa, she's a chatty motherfucker. And it's like, well, that's fine. But <laughs> I, I mean it because I'm excited and I want to get to know you. It is possibly as well now looking back the ADHD in me, you know, I don't have that filter. I am an oversharer, but I think I'm genuinely excited when I meet new people. And I think, so if you turn that anxious energy and try and flip it, into kind of that energy and make it positive and excitement. Mm. I think so many scenarios that we think we feel anxious in, if we just told ourselves, maybe I'm excited, they would be a lot more positive for us. It makes perfect sense. And I've said this on the podcast before, but when I was really struggling with my mental health, every time I left the house, anyone I came into contact with was an adversary. I was just waiting for them to say something negative about me, put me down. It was a very, I mean, it was very dark times, Laura, very, very dark times. And on the path to recovery, it was, what if that person is potentially a, a new friend? Pay somebody a compliment first, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Like I'm expecting nothing but negativity, but in but in, in embracing myself for negativity, I was actually the negative one because I wasn't putting out anything positive. So um, I'm glad that you said that because that's reinforced um how I like to show up in the world and reminded me of the effort that it takes sometimes to to make sure that you're consciously putting positivity out into the world and into the room. Yeah, but ultimately, if you are not feeling that inside, don't beat yourself up. A big thing, fake it till you make it. It really it really is a thing. Like, because there's going to be days where you have to go to that networking event, especially in your career, or well, in most careers. And, you know, you might be having the eczema flare. You might be feeling like, oh, I'm not feeling my best self. This is the crap version of myself today. I just fake it. And and then somewhere along the line, because I genuinely, humans are pretty freaking epic most of the time, you yeah. end up meeting someone or having a nice little interaction. You realise, actually, I feel better for being at this event. Yes. 
Such good advice. Such good... I love talking to you, Laura. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank Matthias. you for having me. <laughs> Matthias. <laughs> Matthias. You know, that's what I'm always doing to call you now when we hang out. Like, hey, Matthias. <laughs> I won't. I promise. I promise. I won't. I promise. Well, maybe a little bit. Um, I will make sure that the links to find you, your social media, everything that we've discussed are in the show notes. But it's been such a pleasure to chat to you. Thank you for being so open and honest and helpful. Thank you so much. I, I love your podcast for this reason. You ask the hard questions. Don't always have the answers. and I know not everyone does, but it's good to even get thinking about it. And I will be thinking for a while this afternoon now about some of these questions. What WhatsApp me your answers? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, just need to get it off my chest. I would have said this. Send me a voice note. Okay. <laughs> you can always add it as a follow-up. Edit it in. <laughs> yeah, edit it nice. in. Hold on for the for the credits and then postscript Laura's voice. I think it will be really obvious the rambling Laura versus the this is the edited media trained Laura. <laughs> this is what I would have said now that I've had seven hours to think about my response. Oh, oh, the nature of podcasts being spontaneous. Um, it has been a joy. Thanks for joining me. Come back soon, please. Will do. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gun Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.